Hey, this is Pastor Steve Berger with This Is That, where we bring biblical clarity to cultural chaos. We want to thank you for listening today. And remember, make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel or to this podcast so you don't miss another episode. God bless you. We pray that this is a blessing for you today. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Steve Berger here. Welcome back to This Is That, where we're bringing biblical clarity to cultural chaos. And there is no shortage of cultural chaos right now. But it really isn't just cultural chaos, is it? There's chaos in culture, but there's also plenty of chaos in the church. It seems like every day I'm hearing some other crazy story about the church somewhere in the world denying Christ, denying historic, ancient, Orthodox Christian teaching, uh, accepting that which is uh, heinous, really, and reprehensible, abominable before God. And uh, it just never ceases to amaze me the mess that the church and professing Christians get themselves into by believing and caving into uh, cultural pressure. And so anyway, just a, a very, very interesting time to be alive in the world today. So friends, we've been talking about repentance and the fact that repentance is the only, like say that again, listen to that again. It is the only prescription that God ever has given a person or a nation when they are in chaos, rebellion, and sin. It is the only thing that God has given them to return to God and to get right with God. And so as we look at our own lives, as we look at the life of our nation here in America and even around the world, we need to understand this very, very clearly. We can't repeat it enough. Our only hope personally and nationally is to return to Christ, to repent of our sins, to return to Christ and to start living holy lives again. And so um, I, I want to be clear, you know, we, as much as we engage um, government and politicians and stuff, and we pressure them and, and disciple them to follow the ways of God, we need to understand that, that the government isn't our salvation. The government isn't our hope. Politicians, presidents, et cetera, isn't our hope, but Jesus is our hope. He's our only hope. And we've got to turn to him personally and nationally, if we want to see ourselves or this nation um, experience the righteousness and the goodness that um, exalts a nation, uh, we have to turn it back to Christ. So I want to be very clear on that. Um, Just by way of review, what is repentance? Repentance is a change of heart and mind that causes us to confess our sin to God, to then turn away from our sin, and then turn toward God. It's that simple. Repentance is a change of heart and mind that causes us to confess our sin, to turn away from our sin, and turn to God. If you're only confessing your sin, but you continue in it, you really haven't repented. And so we want to make sure that we understand that repentance is a turning after our confessing. It's a turning away from sin and a turning uh, toward God. Why is repentance needed? Two things at least. Because sin causes us to be separated from God, Isaiah 59, 2. And because sin that is not repented of leads to death, Romans 6, 23. What does repentance produce? We see why it's needed and what it is, but what does it actually produce? Well, at least four things. Um, It produces the forgiveness of sin and the refreshing of our spirit, Acts 3, 19. 
it produces life, Acts 11, 18. And then fourth and finally, it produces a restored relationship with God. We see this in the story of the prodigal son, Luke 15, 22 and 24. There's no more separation. Uh, there is the glorious reuniting of father and son uh, or creator and creation um, when we repent. It produces that restored relationship. And then again, finally, how does someone repent? You have to uh, have your heart and mind changed. You need to confess your sin. You need to turn away from it and turn toward God. And when that happens, then there is that glorious reunion that we all need and long for in life. Uh, we've also made the point, as we've been unpacking over the last couple of weeks, that um, it's not just the world that needs to repent, but that judgment, uh, Peter says, begins in the house of God. And if judgment begins with us, how quick should we be as followers of Jesus to be people who repent and and keep a short account uh, with God and make sure that we don't get down the road in, in rebellion and unconfessed sin, but we really do stay close to him. And so what we've been doing is going through the, the letters to the church in Revelation, Revelation 2 and 3, and looking at um, the repentance that Jesus has instructed his church to um, engage in and cooperate in. And so we saw that, um, made the point that five out of the seven churches, Jesus called to repent. Uh, only two of them, Smyrna and, and Philadelphia, Jesus didn't have a word of repentance to them. But the other five, he did. He, he told them to repent. And all seven of the churches, Jesus um, told them, remember, he who has an ear to hear, hear what the Spirit is saying. And so as we read these letters and unpack them, We've got to make sure we're listening ourselves to what the Spirit of God would be saying to us, again, personally, and even to the church in America nationally. So we've unpacked our first um, three churches that needed to repent, and now we're going to finish up today with the last two. So quite a long introduction, but uh, well worth it to be reminded of these things, since repentance is our only hope. All right, we'll move on to the church of Sardis. Now, the church in Sardis, Jesus, listen to me, Jesus didn't have a single good thing to say about them. Think about that. The church in Sardis, Jesus didn't say a single good thing. Yikes. Someone uh, said to me yesterday, if Paul could have seen into the future America in the 21st century, we probably would have gotten a letter written to us. <laughs> and I wonder uh, in that same spirit, what kind of letter the church in America would get from Jesus today. I think the safest thing for us to do is go through all seven of these letters and really try to hear what the spirit would say to us and then make those appropriate changes. But the church in Sardis, Jesus didn't have a single good thing to say. Let me read this um, first three verses, Revelation 3, 1 through 3. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, these things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, that you have a name that you're alive, but you are dead. Be watchful 
and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Hold fast, and there's those words, and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. Again, not a single good thing to say to the church in Sardis, but what does he say to them? You've got a name that you're alive, but you're dead. You've got a name that you're that you're associating and, and affiliating with Jesus, the Prince of Life, the Giver of Life, the Resurrection and Life. You've got a name that you're alive, but you're actually spiritually dead. And again, I can't help but think how many churches in America are spiritually dead. They go through the motions. They say they're a church. They say they're followers of Jesus, but they are dead week in and week out dead pastors preaching dead messages to dead people. And what does Jesus say to him? He says these words, you better be watchful. You better pay attention. You better look into your own spiritual life, better take some inventory, be watchful, and then strengthen the things which remain. You see, there was still just a a seed, if you will. There was just a wee bit left that Jesus called them to rebuild with and to strengthen again. He said, but you need to know they are, they are, you are on the verge and they are ready to die themselves. He said, I haven't found your works perfect before God. And so what do you do? You need to remember, remember what it was like, uh, how you have received and heard the word in the past. Get back. It's like he said to the church of Ephesus, you need to get back to your first love. Get back to what it was like when you first met me. And so he said, remember how you received and how you heard, and then hold fast to that. Don't let those same attitudes and actions be stolen from you in the midst of cultural and church chaos. Remember how you've received and heard. Hold fast to that and repent. He said, but if you're not going to watch, I'm going to come upon you as a thief, and you're not going to know what hour I'm going to come upon you. Friends, this is a sobering message, isn't it? I I look at this and I wonder how many followers of Jesus, kind of like the five foolish virgins who didn't have oil in their lamps and they weren't watching and they weren't waiting for the return of the Lord and the Lord came at an hour when they weren't ready. I wonder how many confessing followers of Jesus are in that exact same place in their life right now. Sure, they have a name that they're alive. Sure, they'll tell you they're Christians. They Do they live in sin? Do they live in rebellion to God? Are they dead? Are they just going through the motions? You better believe it. And when Jesus says, if you won't repent of those things, here's what's gonna happen. He said, I'm gonna come back and it's gonna be like a thief. I'm gonna come upon you at an hour when you're not watching, you're not ready, you're not prepared. And he said, you better repent of that kind of spiritual apathy, lethargy, and cluelessness. So to the church in Sardis, he said, you better repent. Not a single good thing to say. He just lets them have it. Well, well, Jesus wouldn't, that doesn't sound like the Jesus I know. That's because the Jesus you know is some kind of flannel graph Jesus that you learned about in in uh, kindergarten and you never grew in your faith to hear about the Jesus who has eyes of a flame of fire and a sword that goes out of his mouth. 
listen, friends, Jesus is serious about this stuff. And when the world and the church are in unrepentant rebellion, he calls them out and calls them to repent. He is in this day, without question, calling the church in America to repent because of the foolishness that we've got ourselves into. We've been silenced from, from speaking truth and love. We've been compromised by accepting and allowing false teachings into the church. The church in America is a lukewarm mess, as we'll see in a minute to the church in Laodicea. So let's move on now to the church in Laodicea. Not one good thing to say, just like Sardis. Revelation 3, chapter, excuse me, Revelation chapter 3, verses 15 through 20. Jesus says to them, I know your works, that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you, spew you, spit you out of my mouth because you say, now look at this, I'm rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And he said, but what you don't know is that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. As Look at this, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Now look at this, friends. That was a mouthful there, no pun intended, but there was a mouthful there. What does Jesus say to the church in, in Laodicea? He says, you, you all are lukewarm. You're, you don't have a fiery, hot love for God, but you're also not totally cold and lost. You just, you're this middle of the road, lukewarm, compromised, but not totally, completely backslidden. You're just in this middle ground. You're lukewarm. And he said, because you're lukewarm, I want to just spit you out of my mouth. You know, nobody, it's the analogy that's been made. Nobody really likes something that's lukewarm, right? And now I'm not a coffee drinker. That might surprise some of you. I'm not a coffee drinker, but my understanding is, you know, people love iced coffee or they love hot coffee. But coffee that's just been sitting on the countertop for several hours becomes lukewarm, just kind of room temperature. It's no good for nothing. I think that's real similar to what Jesus is saying here. The church has become lukewarm and he said, you're not good for anything, but to be spit out of his mouth, to be vomited out is actually what he says. It's, it's quite a, a, a graphic picture there, isn't it? The, cheer, the church in Laodicea, they were self-satisfied. Listen to what they said. I've become wealthy. I don't need anything. I'm rich. He said, but your real spiritual condition is that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, naked spiritually speaking. So this church in Laodicea is a church that has an abundance of material things and those material things had them as well. See, they looked at their spiritual life through the lens of their material life. And sadly, they just thought, 
man, I'm doing great. I'm prosperous. We're doing good. Uh, we're rich. You know, we really don't need that much. And then all of a sudden, Jesus said, you don't even realize the place that you've got to in your lukewarmness. In your lukewarm zeal or lack thereof for God, what have you actually become, spiritually speaking? Wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. What an indictment. Gosh, could you imagine? Think about this. Could you imagine this church being read? Uh, excuse me, this letter to this church being read in your hearing? So you show up to church on Sunday morning and the pastor gets up and says, hey, y'all, I've got to read this letter to you that John wrote that was distributed to the seven churches in Asia Minor. And, and he's got a word from Jesus himself. Jesus wrote a letter to our church and then have this letter be read on Sunday morning. Could you imagine the conviction that would come upon this self-satisfied, carnal, lukewarm church when they hear Jesus say, I'm gonna spit you out of my mouth. Don't you know that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked? Man, I mean, talk about a kind of a gulp moment, just like, whoa, and yet Jesus lets them have it. But what's the motive for Jesus doing this? He said, as many as I love, I rebuke, and I chasten or chastise. I judge for the purpose of correction. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. And so friends, listen to this. When Jesus writes to the five churches, there isn't this attitude of, I'm just gonna rub your nose in it and condemn you and, you know, just for the sake of, of being, um, you know, heavy handed or whatever. No, listen. Jesus rebukes us and chastens us because he loves us and he wants us in a right relationship with he and the Father. And so he said, as many as I love, I rebuke and I chasten. It's the love of God, friends, that would cause the word of God to go to a person and to a nation to say, you need to repent. You need to return to God. Now, I've... I've been in meetings in public buildings, public places, public hearings, government officials, societal members, and, and I've watched followers of Jesus get up and give, even times, just tear-streaked um, explanations of why the government needs to do, doesn't need to do some horrible, heinous, sinful thing. I've watched Christians get up and plead with government officials to do the right thing, not with condemnation, but with a broken heart for our nation. They've just pleaded with the government officials to do the right thing. And yet I've heard reports, oh, those Christians got up there and they just condemned everybody to hell and they're just wanting a theocracy and they're this and they're that. And I just thought, I don't know what meeting you were at, but those things were never said. They were, ne it never happened. And Christians were there just contending for the spiritual health of the people of the nation. All that to say, friends, listen to me. You've got to be prepared to be able to speak the truth in love during these times of cultural chaos and then be lied about. And then be lied about. 
because people who are in their sin, people who are rebellious against God, people who refuse to repent, they'll make up all kinds of stuff about you. Just like the inhabitants of Sodom and Gomorrah told Lot, who are you to judge us? You came here to judge us. It sounds like the same stuff that's going on today. You're just judging us. When Lot, he wasn't judging them and condemning them at all. He was just with love, rebuking them and saying, you all need to repent and turn to God. So Jesus to the church in Laodicea says, I love you. Therefore, I'm begging you to repent and to return. Because I love you, I'm going to chastise you in hopes that it will cause you to return to your father. So friends, we've got to be able to speak that same word with courage, with grace, with love, and then be ready for the fallout. Be ready to be labeled a hater and a bigot and a homophobe and a this and a that and the other thing. It all just comes with the turf of being a follower in Jesus in these very exciting but very chaotic times. So if we just go back to review, what is it that Jesus spoke to the churches? The church in Ephesus, he said, hey, you guys got some right stuff going on, but you've got a cold heart. You're just going through the motions. Ephesus, you've become a passionless church. To the church in Pergamos, he says, you've become idolatrous, sexually immoral. You've put stumbling blocks in front of people. You've given over to the doctrine of Balaam and the Nicolaitans. You're totally a licentious church. Thyatira, same kind of thing, that they allowed false teaching. They allowed, they gave it permission. They were sexually immoral and they were idolatrous. They were the permissive church. And Jesus said, you need to repent. The church in Sardis, they had a name that they were alive, but they were dead. They were misrepresenting who Jesus was. So they're the hypocritical church. They're a church that has a name they're alive, but they're dead. They're just going through the motions and they're hypocritical. And then finally, the church in Laodicea, lukewarm, materialistic, self-satisfied, not knowing that spiritually speaking, they were wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. The Laodicean church is the spiritually clueless church, and they needed to repent. Again, Jesus said, repent. I'm rebuking you and chastising you because I love you. Be zealous and repent. I'm knocking on your door, Revelation 3.20. I'm knocking on the door of your heart. If you'll open up, man, I'll come in and we can dine together. We can be intimate and reconciled and in right relationship again. Or the church faces the consequences. The church in Ephesus, Jesus said, I'll remove you from my presence. The church in Pergamos, he said, I'll fight against you with the sword of my mouth. Remember, this is to the church. This isn't to the world. These are strong words. To the church in Thyatira, he said, I'm gonna cast Jezebel in the sickbed and kill her children or her followers with death. To the church in Sardis, again, he said, I'll come to you as a thief. And to the church in Laodicea, the judgment was, if you won't repent, I'm gonna vomit you out of my mouth. Wow, heavy, heavy stuff. So friends, again, in the midst of us looking at a world and saying this world needs to repent, I want us to look at what Jesus said to the church because again, judgment begins with us in the house of God. And Jesus has a history of calling the church out to repent. Again, out of his love for us, but he wants us to repent. He who has an ear to hear, let, let him hear what the spirit is saying to the churches. And so as we've looked at this over the last several weeks, 
If there's areas in your life personally, like don't overlook that because, well, there's stuff in the church as a whole or there's stuff in the world that I think is worse than what I'm doing. No, 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 no. Your relationship with Jesus is between you and him. And if you need to repent of stuff, whatever it is, that means you need to repent. Doesn't matter what other people need to repent of. It's what you need to repent of. It's what I need to repent of. And believe me, there's stuff I need to repent of. There's stuff that happens in my own life where I go, God, I've got to confess that. I've got to quit making excuses about that. I've got to turn to you for that and and ask you to forgive me and then press on with Jesus. So repentance, beloved, it is indeed our only hope personally and nationally. Make sure you give yourself to repentance. Now, next time when we get together, I want to look at the story of the prodigal son returning to his father and how it's a fulfillment of Psalm 32, a very, very interesting connection between these passages, Luke 30, or excuse me, Psalm 32 and Luke 15, the story of the prodigal son. So God bless you. We love you. Continue. Live a life of repentance and pray for this nation to repent and return to God. God bless you. We look forward to seeing you next time on This Is That with Pastor Steve Berger. God bless you guys. Bye-bye.